Mac Power Users, Episode 28, Using a Mac in a Windows World. Hello, everybody. This is David Sparks. Along with me today is Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm good, David. How are you? Fantastic. You know, ever since you um, talked about what we were going to talk about, I have had this, you know, living in a Windows world and kind of thing in my head. Really? Should that be our new theme music? I don't think so. I don't think that should be our new theme music. And I'm not going to sing anymore, I promise. But <laughs> it's been going around and around in my head. So I'm I'm hoping now that we can record it can get out. I don't I listen to Thelonious Monk. I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever. <laughs> well, I don't listen to that type of music normally, but uh, you, anyway, you can sing before it. I get myself into trouble. Okay, well anyway, we're here to talk today about using a Mac in a Windows world. We've had quite a few people writing in, emailing us asking about this topic. And I thought it would be a really good one for us to cover since both of us do that. I uh I bring my Mac to the office every day. My office runs on a Windows network with an Exchange 2003 server, so I get to uh, I get to live the dream at work. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm kind of in the same situation as you. I don't bring my Mac to the office every day, but I would say at least a couple of times a week. It was there with me today while I was trying to get some stuff done. Um, and it's just it has given me a greater appreciation because I come home and I go, oh, thank goodness you're here, and not what I've been dealing with all day. But, you know, there there's some things that you can do, and I think that's what we're going to talk about uh, in this podcast in terms of making living in that world a little bit easier and, and maybe a little more friendly. Yeah, and, you know, the fact is a lot of us have Windows workplaces, and we have to figure out a way to deal with it. Uh, I'm pretty fortunate. Uh, the people at work have kind of just gotten over me over the years and they just leave me alone. I do what I like, uh, but I still need to work on the windows machine sometimes. And I've come up with a lot of different ways of getting around that over the years. It was interesting last year in like October, I had my, um, my windows machine, you know, just crapped out on me at the office and it died. And there was a bunch of stuff going on at work and people were real busy. And, and I told them that it broke, but I never really made a big point of it. And I just thought, I wonder how long I could go without having a working Windows machine in the office. And I went like six months and, you know, and somebody noticed. generally I didn't need it. But I was kind of cutting off my nose despite my face a little bit because, you know, when it's everything's hooked into the network, it's sometimes easier to have the Windows machine there. And the one thing that um, I feel is better on Windows than on the Mac, but it, the the gap is narrowing is speech recognition. I do a lot of speech recognition, and uh, Dragon, naturally speaking, I think still has has it on Mac Speech Dictate. While they use the same engine, uh, Dragon, naturally speaking, has a much better user interface. But now that they're both owned by the same company, I, I suspect that will be uh, getting much closer on the Mac side. Right. Well, and you got to realize, I mean. Of course you do. The Dragon's got a lot of years on Mac Speech Dictate. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, you know, Windows is ubiquitous. It's at work, and we love our Mac. So how do we make it work? And uh, there's a lot of different steps. I thought what we do for the show is just kind of go through and talk about some of the primary issues and and the ways we get around them. Um, and the first one would be file sharing. Um, yeah, because you've got to get your stuff to talk to your computers. You got to get it off the Windows network or interfacing with your Mac and vice versa. Yes. 
so um, there's there's two directions we're talking about. Number one is you know how do you send files from your Mac to the Windows network, and secondly, how do you get files from the Windows network to your Mac? Um, uh, fortunately, it's a lot easier than it used to be to share between these two computers. What I would suggest the first thing you do is if you take your Mac into the workplace, just turn it on and look in the Finder. And you'll be surprised how often they, um, the built-in Mac OS X Finder will locate network assets. I mean, when we upgrade our network, I found that. you know, I think when it really hit me was with the upgrade to 10.5 Leopard because they put some, some magic juice in there to make it find network drives a lot easier. And I upgraded my computer, went in the office on Monday, and suddenly in my Finder window were all these network drives from my office that I knew were there but were more complicated to get into before. So look in your Finder. You may find it's there. Um, that doesn't mean you can just click into it. You're still, if it's got any security based, then you're going to have to have a username and password. But that does give you a way to get into those drives so long as you're supposed to have access to them. Yeah, in my case, when I go into the office, there's a little sharing tab that I keep in the um uh, in the left-hand column of, of the Finder menu, and that's probably where you see it too. And you pull that little triangle down, and, and there they are. You can also open up a Finder window with the with the volumes that are around yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, so you've got that in there. Now, let's say that you don't have those drives available to you. Um, depending on which version of Windows you're using, uh, it is possible to make your Office network drives available. And this is kind of where we're treading on the ground of are you going to you know send your um, your IT guy into orbit or not? And it just depends how big your office is. And and clearly you're gonna have to use your own common sense. Don't get yourself fired because you want to you know get the office network on your Mac. But uh, usually the IT guy is someone you want to be pretty friendly with. Yeah, and that that's a whole other discussion about <laughs> IT guys and Macs. But uh, sometimes they're friendly. A lot of times they're. I don't know what the word is, but the, a lot of times they're kind of... Um, they have a complex. Yeah, they, they they do. In fact, I can tell this really quick story. I was in an airport. Have I ever told this story on the show before? I don't know. I don't think so. I was so. in an airport and a guy walks up to me and I'm, you know, clicky-clacky on my Mac, having a good time. And you know how Mac people all love each other and they come up to you and... We're very friendly. Yeah, so, and we talk to each other and say, oh, hey, how do you like your MacBook? Yeah, whatever it is. So he's coming up, he's asking about my Mac, and turns out he's a an IT guy for a big uh, firm in L.A. that does um, marketing and advertising. And so they've got like 200 creative people, they've got 200 uh, administrative types. So, of course, they've got 200 Macs and 200 PCs. He's got five IT guys that work for him. Four and a half of them are dedicated to keeping the PCs running, and the other guy uses half of his time keeping all the Macs running. And, you know, that maybe that's why IT people don't like Macs. I mean, you know. Put you out of a job. Really, you know. But uh, anyway, so sometimes you get IT people are kind of angry. But talk to them, make sure they're okay. Uh, assuming they're okay with it, in Windows, and depending on which version you, you have, it's all the basic, it's the same terminology, whether you're an XP or Windows 7. You want to map a local drive. And you do that in the Windows Explorer, you know, their version of the Finder. So there's commands in there, and it depends on which version you're using. But you map a network drive. So you're essentially creating a drive on the network. And then you can share that drive. And there's different ways to do that depending on which version of Windows you use. And I I don't want to get into the specifics because I am in no way a Windows power user. And I don't want to talk, you know, get all the emails telling me how wrong I am. But I know that the general way is you go to map drives. I've done it before. I don't do it that often, but when I need to, that's where you start. You map the network drive, make it available, and then once you've got it out there, 
then the uh, Mac Finder should find it. And then you can log in with whatever security credentials you need and your file sharing. Um, now, going from the Mac, I think, is easier. Uh, you know, yes, you go into the uh, the sharing uh, uh, pane of the system preferences, and you just click on file sharing. You know, and then uh, it's interesting on the Mac because uh, the file sharing uh, system preference has some options that are probably worth spending just a couple minutes going over. Uh, and you know, just to step back, what you're doing by file sharing is then you're saying to the outside world hey, you guys can come in and sniff around on my hard drive. So you want to make sure that you spend a little time setting that up exactly how you want to. Uh, so file sharing is... Because you don't want to be too open with your sharing. Exactly. So, especially on a Windows. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So file sharing is uh, the third box down in the uh, sharing system preference. And there's essentially three panes that you pick from. The first one is shared folders. Um, so there's a little plus uh, icon on the bottom. You can click that. And you can add... And I think by default, just your public folder is shared. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you can add more. So let's say you want to share a a folder related to a specific project or some family photos or whatever. So you click the plus sign, it brings up the browser, you, you, know, you navigate to the folder you want, click OK. And it's a question of sharing folders, not files. So if there's files that are in a specific folder, make sure that you're comfortable sharing everything in that folder before you click it. So once you've clicked and selected the folders you want to share, then you collect, who am I going to share it with? And you can pick specific individuals or groups, and uh, uh, depending on who's on your network. So that's easy enough. It, like, if you don't care, you can just click everyone, and then it shares it with anybody who can get in. Or you could just click your name, your own name, and then and not allow anybody else in. So then if you're sitting at a different computer and you're logged in as yourself at a different computer, you can access that, but nobody else can. So... There's a couple extremes. Obviously, you can go in and do whatever you want. And then once you decide who you're sharing it with, you decide what those privileges will be. And uh, there's different uh, privileges available. The first is read and write, which is the, you know, the best one. If you want to make it really easy for people, they can, they can write to the files in that folder and they can read them. Uh, read only allows people to just read files in there, but that also allows them to copy them out. So if they want to copy it out and goof with it, you know, they won't be screwing up your original file. So that's a different option. And then they have one called write only and it's confusing because Apple calls it Dropbox, you know, right. and you see that and you're going to get really excited. You're like, all right, you know, they built Dropbox right into Mac OS 10. No, they didn't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally like a mail drop. Things go in. And you never see them again. Yeah. yeah. So the recipient... If you're standing on the other side of the yeah, door. It is like sticking your mail in the mailbox. You drop it in there, and you can't get into the mailbox. It's gone. And then the people at the other side can, can empty that drop box out. Uh, so there's a space between the P and the B. That's the difference between the Dropbox service we all know and love and the Dropbox that Mac OS X has for dropping files. Um, there's another option that's only available when you have groups, and that's called Exclude. So if you have a big group, you can ex you can put no access, and then that gro that gropes them out. So if you want to say, okay, I want Katie to have access to this file, but everybody in the art department has no access, and so you can set that up. Um, if Katie moves to the art department, uh, she will still have access because the individual access um, uh, trumps whatever you have on the group access. Yeah. So uh, I probably made more of that than I needed to. But if you want to share files, that's all you have to do. Then when you're on your Windows machine, you can go and you can find the Mac 
in the Windows Explorer and uh, whatever you've put out there, uh, you can share at that point. So it's not that difficult when you're on the network to get files back and forth. Um, but there still is the, uh, you know, the old school way, the sneaker net. The tried and true never fails. Yeah, it, it, it really is not a bad way to go about things. Um, so I'm talking about the sneaker net where you just take a drive. And these days you can get, you know, gigabyte sized USB flash drives. Or you can get, you know, these these small portable hard drives. And let's say you need 100 gigabytes of data. You're working on a big project and you want to just take it home over the weekend or you've got, you know, files on your friend's Windows machine, whatever. Rather than trying to set up a network and wirelessly, you know, move large volumes of files across, why don't you just take a drive, just plug it in, copy the files, and then take it with you? Um, uh, that works just fine. There's a, there, and there's a caveat there, too. You want to make sure that you have the right formatting for the drive. Well, yeah. I mean, there are basically three types of formats. There's Mac OS journaled, which is if you're running a modern Mac OS is probably what you're running. Uh, NTSF, which is a newer file format uh, compared with the old standard of FAT32. And what do you recommend? Because most of the time I have, you know, just if I'm doing little thumb drives, little flash drives, I'm formatting them as FAT32. Exactly. So uh, with the Mac OS journaled, it works great on the Mac. It's, you know, it's, it's the Mac operating system. Um, however, if you take a Mac OS journaled USB drive and you plug it Stick into it in a PC? window, it's not going to yeah, see anything. Right. It's not going to write anything. So it's, it's completely blind to whatever data you have on there. Now, NTSF is the Windows standard. Ever since, I think, Windows NT, they've mm-hmm. used the NTSF standard. So if you take a Windows computer and, and format the drive NTSF and you load it with data and you take it over to your Mac, you will be able to see and copy data off it. Okay, Because the Mac's smarter. Yeah, exactly. The Mac's smarter. So it, it'll pull the data off. But if you tell the Mac to write data to it, it's it's going to burp. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't Bad know things. what to do. Um, but if you go to the older standard, the FAT32, both Mac and PC read FAT32 and write FAT32. So that's really the format of choice for the flash drives, you know, the little flash drives. A uh, couple limitations. FAT32 is a little slower, and I think it's a 4-gigabyte cap is the file size that you can put on FAT32. Right, which most people moving documents around aren't really going to run into. It's it's a it's going to take quite a bit to get a 4-gigabyte file, but I guess it's possible. Yeah. And there are some applications um, that you can... Right, I was just going to point that out. There's some Mac and PC applications. I know Mac Fuse is kind of a popular one over on the Mac, and uh, there are a couple others on the PC side. I think people have been using those for a while, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure they work to some degree because people have been using them. They've always made me a little nervous. Yeah, So, and what you're talking about is an application that you can install on the Mac to allow it to read and write NTSF drives or an, an application you can install on Windows to allow it to read a Mac OS journal drive. I've, I've always worried, and it's, it's never really bitten me because I, I use them so infrequently, but I've always worried about data corruption when doing that. I, I don't know if that's really as a legitimate concern now as it was perhaps when some of these utilities were, were newer, but you know, I think the good rule of thumb is stick to FAT32 for now at least. Well, it's just as easy, really. I mean, to, and it's it's just going to to go and buy software and then download it and then have to deal with the special formatting. Just just take and make sure it's everywhere you want it to be, and when you need it, and if you don't have it, you're in trouble. Yeah. And you know, frankly, hard drives are really cheap now. I mean, you can get a hundred gigabyte hard drive for probably fifty bucks or something. 
if not less, and just just have one dedicated and and format FAT32 and have that as your transfer drive. You know, it's it's probably cheaper than the cost of the software to uh, to make it read the other formats. But you know, there's a use for it. I'm sure uh, some people have a good use for it. So, you know, uh, networking or file sharing uh, with a Windows and a Mac is not that difficult, uh, so long as you've got a fair degree of access to the network and you haven't got a, an IT guy who's going to throw up brick walls at you. Or gal. Yeah, yeah, or gal. And there are those out there. And in that case, I think you just need to rely on the sneaker net because there's not a whole lot they can do about that because every computer has a USB port. So we're going to talk a little bit about other ways uh, to share different types of data, including to share uh, data wirelessly and sync data. But before we do that, we do want to thank our first sponsor tonight, uh, and that is Smile on My Mac. And one of the things that I've said more often than I care to remember is how much I would love to have Smile on My Mac's text expander on my PC at work. Because I sit at the office and I am constantly keyboarding in text expander shortcuts and just cursing when nothing happens on the screen. Um, because you really, you get used to the text expander shortcuts. I use them every day. I rely on them. I just type a couple of keystrokes, and all of a sudden this this big block of text or, or whatever it is pops up. Um, and I was talking to Jean, I think at Macworld is initially when we had this conversation, and she said, well, you know, there, there, are, some, there are some PC products that will play nice with Smile on my Mac. Uh, and specifically two are Brevy, B-R-E-E-V-Y, and another one called Phrase Express. Um, and what's unique about Text Expander is that Text Expander's uh, format, uh, they work with these guys and you can they can read and write to the Text Expander format. So what I've done is I've installed, I, I picked Brevy. I've, you know, I'm sure Phrase Express works or Phrase Express works just as well. And with the new text expander, especially in, in version three, it makes it very easy to share your text expander library uh, through a Dropbox. I used to always sync it through MobileMe, but I think we all agree now that Dropbox is kind of beyond MobileMe for syncing. So you check a little box in the system preferences of text expander, tell it to share text expander via Dropbox. It puts this nice little text expander folder in your Dropbox, and then you install, uh, in my case, Brevi on on the PC at work. And as you set up Brevi, one of the things it tells you to is it goes into system prefer- or into the preferences of, of the app. And there's a little box that says, uh, look for uh, a shared snippet library in Dropbox. And you check that, and there's a little box at the bottom that says, uh, ch- I think it says text expander mode. So there, there's, they've configured their settings. So if you, if you put the app into text expander mode, it kind of mimics a lot of the behaviors of text expander. And it says, oh, hey, I see you've got a, a text expander library here in your Dropbox. You want me to play nice with this file? And you say yes. And boom, all of your text expander snippets are on your PC. That is awesome. And it has just made me so happy. So I've got text expander on my Mac. I love text expander on the Mac. And I've got to tell you, text expander interface is leaps and bounds above you know, the, P- the PC products interface. But but the real one of the real selling points of Text Expander, as opposed to some of the other programs that that do similar things to Text Expander, um, is that it will play nice in the PC world. So that if you find yourself having to go back and forth, um, you can you can take your Text Expander snippets with you. And I, I am the envy of the office. I'm checking that out tomorrow. I I didn't realize I you, you could do that. 
Oh, it's fair. And, cool. um, you know, cause I, it's muscle memory for me. I've used text disk matter so long, uh, that it, my fingers just, even though I know I'm sitting at a PC, the fingers just, you know, nail out those, those key combinations. And I'm always a little bit annoyed when nothing happens. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. so you can really, you can have your text expander on your Mac. You can have your text expander on your iPhone. You'll very soon have it on your iPad. And you can have your text expander snippets um, on a PC, and especially if you're sharing via Dropbox. Dropbox is free for two gigabytes of storage, which is more than enough uh, to handle your text expander library and some other stuff we'll talk about. So if you were looking for one last push of why text expander is such a good, good idea, uh, there you go. And you can find uh, all the Smile on my Mac's products, including text expander, PDF Pen Pro, disk label, uh, over at smileonmymac.com. And you know, one other thing about Smile on my Mac's uh, text expanders, they just came out with version 3.1. And that's they right. added a great feature called search. And that's, I guess, my feature of the week I'd like to talk about is now you can go in. Because if, if you're like me, you've got a big text expander library. And sometimes, you know, you get older, you start forgetting what the key combinations were. But you know, there was something in there about nunk pro tunk, right? So, uh, you go up to the search snippets and you type it in and it's, it's a little, you know, search bar right at the top at, on the menu item. And it finds that exact phrase for you in your thousands of, uh, text expander snippets. So it's a, it's a great feature. I'm really glad they added that with 3.1. So if you haven't updated yet, make sure to go check it out. All right. Um, so let's, let's talk about how we, we share some of our other data, specifically, um, email contacts, calendars, that's been a big problem for a long time. I think uh, Microsoft Exchange 2007 and especially iPhone OS 3.0 has made that a lot easier and Snow Leopard. Um, but we're not all that lucky. Yeah. So if your office is working on Microsoft Exchange and the Office Exchange servers, Microsoft uh, Exchange 2007 or later, because now they're coming out with 2010, and you've got Snow Leopard, it is as quick as typing in your email address and your password. And it was, it was very cool. I'll have to tell you about my yeah, That's what you, that's what your experience at your work, right? Yeah. And in fact, you want me to talk about that yeah. a little bit and then we can talk about your work. Yeah, okay. Um, so my life was extremely easy. I, it's, it was a little too easy. I had snow leopard, uh, installed on my Mac, which had this great exchange, uh, support. Um, and then I had, um, Exchange 2007, I think, is is what was um, installed on my PC at work, and that was we run our mail server off of Exchange. So we've got our mail, we've got our calendar, we've got our contacts all in that Exchange database. And it was like my second week on the job, first week on the job probably, and the, the office manager comes in and she says, can you bring in your computer tomorrow um, because I'm going to have our tech guy come in just especially for you to set up your stuff so you can work remotely uh, and and we can get your exchange data uh, connected into your Mac. And I said, um, well, I really don't think that's necessary. If you just want to give me your settings, I'm pretty sure I can. No, 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 no. We we have to have our tech guy come out and do it. Then all right. So the tech guy comes out and he's like, all right, I'm here to to set up your laptop for remote access or in, and for exchange. And I pull my Mac out of my bag. And I guess they obviously did not tell him. That it was did a Mac. He just did thought, he groan you know, out loud. Whatever he was was gonna do. Oh with a PC. man, a Mac person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I pull it out, and he just kind of looks at it for a while, and um, 
I'm saying, okay. And he doesn't really say anything. So I pop open mail and I I go and I say, okay, I'm pretty sure this is going to work. And I think the only thing I needed to get from him that maybe I hadn't got it, or maybe I got it myself out of my, uh, out of my exchange database is like, okay, I need to know what our internal server is. And I need to know my username, which I knew. And I need to know my password, which I knew. Uh, and that's all I plugged in. I plugged in my email address, my username, and my password, and it automatically found everything it needed to find, and it just sucked it all in. And I did that in mail. I did that in uh, address book. I did that in iCal. And everything has been magnificent since then. I pulled out my iPhone. I plugged the information in my iPhone. I, I mean, it was a, it was under a five-minute process to get everything synced What did up. he say after he did this? <laughs> Well, that must be that fancy new uh, uh, operating system they came out yeah. with. Because it was. I mean, you know, Snow Leopard came out in, I think, late August. Because you know uh, what he was thinking. Was early September. He was thinking, man, how much can I bill for this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> See, how far did he drive? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he billed yeah. for it. <laughs> but, but it was great. And I have had, I've had no problem since. It, it is very quick to update. You know, my assistant will add something to my calendar, and within a second or two, it's it's been updated on my iPhone, and I'm sure it's been updated on my Mac. And uh, I mean, it has just been wonderful for me to be able to to have all that information. A little too nice sometimes when the when the email dings in at at odd hours. I may just have to learn to turn that off. Um, one hiccup. Wait, wait I a had, second, Katie, uh, are you still doing the ding? I am still doing the ding. You have to go back and listen to our first two episodes. No I know, deal. I know, but my office, my problem is my office is when they send me an email, if I don't respond within about two minutes, then the phone starts ringing. That's lame. They just expect these things. Um, but one hiccup I did have uh, was actually when I got the iPad because, you know, in, in iCal or in BusyCal or whatever you use, you can set up these nice little color coded and, you know, for example, my personal calendar is blue, my work calendar is green. Uh, my Mac power users calendar is orange and, and you can set up all these labels for your calendars. Well, I was able to mimic that on my iPhone and it was no problem. Um, my work calendar was still green or red. I don't remember. I think it was red. Um, and then the iPad came out and my work calendar was blue. So like 90% of the events on my calendar are blue because blue is also the color that I use for personal. And I couldn't figure out any way to change it. And apparently there's a bug uh, in the iPad software, where the the color syncing for Exchange calendars doesn't sync up with the iPad, um, there's a big discussion on my, on the Apple discussion board. Supposedly, it's a bug that's going to get fixed. So, uh, hopefully, as soon as we get the next minor iPad update, or as soon as we get uh, iOS 4.0 for the iPad, hopefully that will get fixed. But it, I mean, yeah, it still the, works. It's just annoying. And just to be clear, it's it's an exchange, so it's it's internet based. So if you're home and you open your laptop and your secretary added an appointment, it shows up immediately, right? Within seconds. Yeah. So no matter where you're at, and it works with your iPhone and your iPad and and your Mac. And the the other nice thing about this exchange is that it doesn't replace your calendar. It's an addition to your calendar. So you can have your own personal iCal calendar with your personal stuff in it. And it, the work people never see that. It's a separate calendar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing for contacts. So you'll have in your contact database, you'll have the section with all your work contacts. Then you have the other section with all, you know, your friends and family and 
never the two shall meet. It, it's really nice. Um, a friend of mine is also working in an Exchange 2007 network with an Apple laptop, and uh, I was very jealous because I have a little harder than you. I have an Exchange 2003 server at my office, and I was told that we are going to upgrade just builds that. character. Yeah, but I was told the upgrade date for that was like 2011 or something. You know, it's like some crazy... This was a couple of years ago. It just seemed like it was years off, and I don't know why. It will be about the time that, that Apple way. phases out support for Exchange 2007 in favor of whatever the next new. Yeah, <laughs> I do not doubt that in the slightest. Um, uh, so what I do is I have a very funny system. Uh, first of all, we use this piece of software for the Windows. Uh, the, it's a law practice management software that I absolutely hate. It's... um. Uh, a friend of mine, Ben Stevens, uh, who runs the Mac, the Mac lawyer.com, a great website for Mac lawyers, by the way, uh, said this was the application that killed windows for him that when he used that as work is when he decided he could no longer run in a windows world. <laughs> and anyway, so it just stinks and it, so it sends, uh, but we use it and that's what that runs the email and the contacts database and everything. So the first thing we have to do, because this program has so many troubles, they're putting a lot of the data into exchange now. So, uh, I'm sorry, Microsoft Outlook. So and we have an Outlook uh, server with an Exchange 2003, but we've got this other funny program at the front of the line. So data goes from that program to Exchange, which seems to work okay, but it's unidirectional because everybody's afraid this other program is so touchy that we're going to show up one day and all our court appearances are going to be gone or we're going to have three versions of every contact or something, you know, because it's, it's likely that will happen. So it's a unidirectional sync to uh, Outlook. So I just work in Outlook. I try to avoid that other program as much as I can. Um, but that doesn't help me get it onto my Mac because my Mac doesn't, you know, uh, Snow Leopard doesn't speak Exchange 2003. I can't just put in a couple things like you and grab all that data. So this is when I start this loop. Um, I got thinking about it. And for me, the Google Calendar, as it became popular, was when I got started thinking, okay, I know there's a way to get data from Outlook to Google Calendar. And once I get it to Google Calendar, I can do anything I want with it. So I went looking, and sure enough, I think Google even releases an app that uh, that automatically takes your Outlook database of your dates, and it syncs that up to Google Calendar. And so once it's up there, and I have it set to do it like every five or 10 minutes, uh, then I can, I could either just view it directly on Google calendar, but because I'm such a Mac nerd, I use BusyCal. and BusyCal syncs right into uh, Google calendar, pulls those down to my Mac. So then I've got it in BusyCal, And then once it's on BusyCal on my Mac, I've got the mobile me sync and suddenly it populates everywhere. So it goes onto my iPad, onto my iPhone, all these different places. So uh, multiple points of failure. Anybody who knows anything about computers is going to hear this crazy system I use and just think I'm absolutely nuts. But it works because if the secretary puts something in the lousy PC program, that populates to the Outlook and then that goes up to Google and that comes down to BusyCal and then it gets to me. And usually it all takes, you know, about 10 or 15 minutes before it all kind of sorts itself out, which is okay with me. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like there's going to be a lag there. Yeah, at some point, you know, you'd think there would be a failure. I've been running this way like a couple of years, and I've, I've never had a, a failure. The only problem I have is once in a while, the Google um, application that syncs the Outlook data up to Google on my PC at work just stops working. And that happened when I was out of town for a couple of days on business, and that, you know, kind of freaked me out because I didn't know if they were putting appointments in for me I didn't know about. So 
had my secretary run into my office and restart it and that fixed it. So, you know, occasionally there's some issues. Uh, uh, but I also have seen the light with the iPad. You know, when the iPad came out, I got thinking, you know, even though my my Macintosh cannot get into this Exchange 2003, maybe my iPad can because I know that the Exchange support that Apple built into the iPhone and iPad in some ways is better than what they have in, in Mac OS X. So I, I got a hold of our computer guy and got all the details for our network, plugged in the iPad, and sure enough, I got... I got a sync. I mean, I, it pulls down the calendar, the contacts, all, all that information automatically in my iPad. So then I hooked it up to my phone too. And that bypasses this whole crazy system I have, but it doesn't work to the Mac. There's no way to get that data onto the Mac. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. So I don't think on that. Yeah. So what I've got is I've got this, this strange round trip uh, that shows up in, in busy Cal, then it gets synced out to everything. And then also, on my mobile devices, I've got a separate calendar from work. Uh, so I've got the thing duplicated at this point. I haven't exactly figured out how I'm going to sort this out yet. I mean, I could just, you know, cut my losses. But I like having it on the Mac because when I'm sorting and using BusyCal, a lot of times I, I plan the days in advance and I actually assign time to do uh, heavy time-intensive tax, tasks. And I want to do that on the computer rather than the mobile devices because it's really not that easy creating appointments on them. Uh, so I've got to kind of sort it. I've really just kind of started to play with this new wrinkle the last week or so, and I haven't got it all sorted out. But I do have the ability now, at least off Exchange 2003, to get data automatically without having to go through all these different steps onto the mobile devices. Okay. So that's one way. There's there's others, too. Um, I've written on this and I've spoken on it. Some people have referred me to some services that do like an online exchange sync uh, that, that take 2003 exchange data and, and get it to your, um, to your computer. But, you know, uh, I frankly feel more comfortable doing it with the way I'm doing it. Cause I'm in control of the steps and I know the only people. And you're not counting on something. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, you've got to trust, I think, I guess Google, you've got to trust Google with your data, Yeah, but I, I'm okay with it with the data that I'm sharing. I'm okay with that. Um, and I'm in control of it. I know how it all works. And I, I got to feel that at some point I'm going to get out of this purgatory and it's going to be easier. And uh, with these mobile devices, it's the first time I've really seen steps of that. Wow. Well, that's creative. Yeah. You know, it, it means that's I have it. too much free time or I'm, I'm just a little crazy. I, I think it's. I, I bet I'm going to hear from some listeners, and they're going to have someone's going to have a solution. Yeah, for they, either that, or it's going to be even crazier than mine, and and those will be just as entertaining to me. <laughs> we'll feature those on a yeah. on a follow up show. So that covers everything. That's your your calendars, your contacts, and your mail. Yeah, it basically covers it. All right. Yeah, I think mine was easier. I think it was too. I still would have liked to seen that IT guy when you did that. That IT guy is now walking around with an iPad. It's kind of oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he won't use a Mac, though, but he, he seems to like the That's iPad. okay. Just take, just take I, that first step. That's all. Right. <laughs> um, so, obviously, one of the things that was a big, big topic a, a couple of years ago and, and now has just kind of been a, a little more commonplace is running Windows on your Mac. Because if you if you do want to run on your Mac, or especially if you travel with your Mac and you don't want to tap to company laptop, you're probably going to need to run some of these proprietary uh, Windows uh, programs. 
So there are a couple of ways you can do that, and, and we'll talk about how you can do it and how we do it and how it works. And and quite frankly, I don't do this nearly as much now as I used to. But um, basic things you, you need to cover. First off, it's only going to work on an Intel Mac. Uh, unless you're running virtual PC, which I would I would rather have a root canal than do. So um, make, make sure that you're on uh, an Intel-based Mac. Um, boot camp and these virtualization options that we're going to talk about are, are going to require a full install of at least Windows XP Service Pack 2 or Windows Vista uh, or Windows 7. And usually you have to read the licensing agreement because everybody's situation is differently. Uh, but usually you cannot reuse an old Windows license from your PC. So if you think, okay, I've, I've switched at home from the PC to the Mac, I'm just going to take the Windows that's on my old PC and, and use that in virtualization. Usually the, the Windows installs on PCs are so customized installs that number one, it's just not technically going to work. And number two, you know, Microsoft has a DRM and, and all kinds of other things that are going to uh, prevent you to do this. I actually saved a couple of bucks. I bought an OEM license um, at, a, at, a, at a decent discount. Um, and basically, you're giving up the support when you do that. Um, but it really is not like Microsoft was going to support you running Windows on your Mac anyway. So. And an OEM right. license is really supposed to be sold when you build your own computer you know it's part of a yeah i had to i had to buy it with hardware yeah um i think Um, i bought a speaker cable with it yeah so you've got so you've got a um so you've got a windows disc and you're you want to do that you know crazy thing of putting windows on your computer on your mac uh so there's there's really two schools the first one is boot camp which is apple's solution and that's the solution that you use if you want to devote the maximum amount of clock cycles to Windows. You know, if you're doing high-end video editing or the latest game that, you know, you can't get on the Mac. Uh, so you, you install Windows on. And, you know, if you take one of these Macs apart, inside it's not that different from a, a Windows box. You know, they've got Intel processors and video cards. And, I mean, they're basically the same thing. So, you know, it's just a a high-end Windows machine at that point once you install Boot Camp. When you turn on your Mac, it gives you a choice. You know, you want Windows or, or Mac OS X, and if you pick Windows, you know, God bless you. You got you got, you got Windows on Good your Mac. Yeah. You know, that reminds uh, so, me, I think it was PC World did an article when virtualization and running Windows on an Intel Mac was still a fairly new thing, and they determined that the best computer run Windows on, the most efficient computer to run Windows on, the best experience. You know what it was? It was a MacBook Pro. Yeah, that was with Windows Vista, which begs the question, really, is that the best solution for running Windows Vista, or is it better to run it out of your trash can? Because that was my experience with Windows Vista. But yeah, uh, you know, it's a a nice computer. You can run Windows on it. That's great. And But I think it's less necessary uh, to run Boot Camp now than it ever was, because the virtualization companies, in particular Parallels and Fusion, have really upped their game. And uh, you're able to do some pretty high-end graphics on Parallels and Fusion now. Uh, Parallels yeah, and Fusion are... give you... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, these are companies that um, are really leapfrogging each other in terms of features and speed. And, you know, it's like, don't look now, because whichever one is in the lead at this particular moment... 
won't be because the other one will release an update that says, oh, we're, now we're faster. Oh, now we're faster. Now we're faster. We have more features, um, which I think is really a win-win for the consumer. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty common knowledge the last few months that Parallels was was the faster interface. And uh, Fusion just came out with a new version, just like within the last few weeks, and they've they bumped it up. I haven't seen the speed test against each other yet. But, uh, e- you know, either way, it doesn't matter. You're going to be fine. Um, my advice is use the one that you're most comfortable with. Uh, Parallels has more bells and whistles. They've been doing it longer. And uh, I think there's more customization. I think Fusion is a little easier to uh, to configure because it hasn't got quite so much. I think the interface in Fusion feels a little better to me. Uh, another nice thing about Fusion is if you're interested in running um, other th- things other than Windows, if you want to try your hand at you know Linux and Ubuntu and some of these other things, Chrome, yeah, Chrome, uh, Fusion has a, a system where you can download these machines from their website and just plug them in. And I think Parallels is starting to get those, but they're they're still behind Fusion on that regard. So you know, either you know, six of one, a half dozen of the other. I, I used Parallels for years. Um, I think last year I I got a demo of uh, Fusion and I never took it off and I I'm equally happy with it. Uh, to be honest though, I just I just reconfigured my home iMac and I have not reinstalled Windows and I'm not sure that I will. I mean I don't really need it. I I put it on there and I think I booted it up two or three times, so it's just not worth the, worth the drive space. Yeah, I think I've used mine once in a year and it was when I was I was working from home and I needed to to read a document that was in some kind of proprietary format that I had to have a PC based application. But once, yeah, well, you know, I, I was kind of making fun of the, the idea of putting windows on your Mac earlier. And it's really not a fair thing to say because for there's some people that you need it. And, um, there may be an application at work, for instance, that is a windows only app. It's never going to be on Mac. And if you don't have a way to run that app, then you can't buy a Mac. So in that way, you know, Parallels and Fusion are the kind of apps that free you to be able to have the Mac for, you know, 90% of the stuff you want. And so that other 10%, you've got the windows that you need to take care of that. So, you know, they're, they're very liberating products. And the other thing that I think that they do, their mere existence makes it easier for people to switch over. And I don't know about you, but I've helped a lot of people uh, move over from uh, windows to Mac. And it's always that they know that they can have that parallels running that if, you know, in a jam, they can, yeah, they can go net. back to it. And, and almost universally, every one of them within six months is saying, Hey, can you get rid of that windows? I don't want it on my drive anymore. But you know, at the beginning, they always want to have it there and want to know exactly how it works. They go, they go back and forth for a while and they go back and forth less and less and less. And yeah. Yeah. Um, now virtual box is another one. Um, it's, it's free. It's from, from Sun, correct? Yeah. Sun's virtual box. I mean, I people are using it. I understand it works well, but it, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that Parallels and Fusion well, does. Well, specifically, it doesn't have the uh, graphics support that uh, Parallels and Fusion right. does. It also just isn't as user-friendly. I mean, the installation is a more uh, a little tougher. I did an installation of VirtualBox recently, and I thought that it wasn't as easy as... I mean, Fusion and Parallels, installing Windows on them is easier than installing Windows on a, an actual Windows PC. It's just they've got the whole system yes. figured out. Uh, there's another interesting product in this space, though, called Crossover. And uh, it's not a virtualization product. It, it's really more of a... Um, I'm not sure the, exactly the way to explain it. it co- it's, it's an... What it does is it instead of emulating the OS, is it mimics the system calls and the plugs into these programs. So it knows 
where do these programs need to access certain things and how do they need to access it? And then I'm just going to go and and connect them up where they need to connect up, where they don't need to know that Windows itself isn't there. Yeah, for instance, if you've got Microsoft Word for Windows and you click the print button, it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to send a certain bit of instructions that it would send to Windows operating system. And Windows operating system isn't there, but but Crossover will say, okay, I caught that. You want to print. So then that'll convert that to Mac OS X's version of print, and it'll print. Um, so you don't have to buy a Windows license. All you have to do is buy this um, crossover, which is I think about seventy bucks uh, for the fancy version. I think it's a little cheaper for the for the normal version. And then you can uh, the, you can run these Windows apps. Uh, it doesn't work with everything though, so you got to make sure it supports your app. They do have. Uh, we did a demo of this at my Mac users group a little while back. That one thing that they have been good about is they realize that this isn't a solution for everybody. Um, and that it may not work for everybody depending on the program. They've got a pretty comprehensive website that will give you some some information, and they're very big on user feedback in terms of this works, this doesn't, this has bugs. So they've got a very active development community over there. But they will give you a, um, I don't remember if it's a 30-day free trial, but they will give you a free trial to say, okay, run this with what you need to run it in, You know, kick the tires, make sure everything works, and if it does... Then you can buy it, and I think this is good uh, if you are running a very limited number, you know, one or two specific programs that it supports and it supports well. Um, you could get away with this type of solution uh, if if it's not going to work well, or if your product is maybe supported or only partially supported, you're probably going to be better off with something else. And one of the best reasons to run Windows on a Mac is QuickBooks. You know, because they really don't, um, Intuit doesn't really have a good product on the Mac. And uh, so I know a lot of people who need QuickBooks to run their business and they love their Macs, but they end up booting up virtualization. And at least the last time I checked, Crossover still hasn't got QuickBooks figured out, which would be like the yeah. ideal, ideal program for Crossover. Because you just want it, you want Windows for one app. And if you could get that one to run consistently, I, th- I could see a lot of people going Crossover instead of uh, dealing with all the other nonsense. So which of these solutions is best for you? You know, it really depends on your use. Me, personally, I'm a fan of virtualization. I've used Parallels before. I'm using Fusion now. Um, You know, I I don't really care. They're both great for my needs. I've used Boot Camp in the past um, in a case where I actually had to boot into Windows. And, I mean, it was a fine solution, but I don't like going back and forth. So, you know, it depends. Um, you know, boot camp is going to be a little less expensive because you don't have to buy the virtualization software itself. It comes built in with the Mac. Um, but it, it's, you know, a different experience. I think boot camp was great in its day, and I think it's becoming less relevant uh, as Parallels and Fusion really catch up to it. Take over the yeah. space. And I think Apple has kind of, in, in many ways, been a little happy to hand it over to them because now they're they're even promoting the virtualization products on their site. Right alongside with yeah, it's pretty neat. I mean, uh, another use I saw of parallels was someone had two monitors, and one monitor was a Windows machine, and the other monitor was a Mac. And you know, they ran it all off this one Mac, and it worked just fine. And I thought that was kind of nice too. Um, a, a couple of just quick tips that I I wanted to throw out there. One is it is a PC. I mean, so that has its disadvantages too. You will need some kind of antivirus and anti spyware, and 
In fact, I, I would strongly recommend that if you really just need the PC to run a few specific programs, you know, keep the internet off of it. You know, do your web surfing and your email and all of that good stuff. Do it on your Mac side, especially if you're virtualizing. You, you know, you really don't need to surf the web in parallels or VMware or, or any of those other solutions if you can surf it on the Mac. Um, and the other is these these virtual images can be very large. They can be, you know, several, several gigabytes. And every time you even open the document, it's it's being changed. And so every time you open it, Time Machine's going to see it as changed and it's going to back it up again. So I have excluded my VMs from my Time Machine backup. But that being said, you do want to make sure that, especially if you're using it fairly regularly and you have data in there, that you want to back it up. Yeah, and if you're just home using Windows, uh, a good virus solution is Microsoft Security Essentials. It's free, you know, and uh, uh, does a pretty good job. Yeah, I use um, I use AVG free. Yeah. The um, if you do the other thing to be aware of is both Parallels and Fusion have different degrees of file sharing. Actually, Fusion's a little better about this than Parallels because uh, Parallels basically forces you to file share unless you turn it off. And uh, I do not like the idea of file sharing between Windows and Mac OS X. I would rather drag a file onto the virtual Windows desktop off my Mac than have it look be looking and sniffing in my uh, Mac OS X drives. Because uh, while you cannot get a virus, at least that I'm aware of, to jump from your virtual machine to your Mac, uh, a virus on the Windows will corrupt the data files that it has access to. And if you give that Windows drive access to the data files on your Mac, you could have a problem. So I've never heard of anyone being really you know, screwed by this, but it seems to me like a, a point of failure and a risk. So, uh, And you can definitely be a carrier. Yeah, so so I just turn that off. I, I I drag files into Windows as I need them. I mean, this is I'm just kind of convincing myself that I'm really not going to probably put Windows back on my Mac unless I really need to. Okay, so I think we've covered virtualization and Windows. Let's talk about our next sponsor. Uh, another one of those products that I always wish I had on my Windows machine at work is One Password. Uh, I use one password every day, multiple times a day. It manages all my password. It autofills all of my film, uh, my uh, forms. I mean, I'd live in this application and would be totally lost because I don't know what most of my passwords are because one password, I've had them generate those super secure passwords so that I'm not going to get, um, you know, hacked by anybody. But that does kind of create a little bit of a problem. Um, they've got some workarounds for it. You can get a, a great implementation of one password. On your iPad, you can get it on your iPhone. But still, if you've really done your due diligence and you've got those extra long passwords with the funky characters in it, you know, that's going to kind of be a pain to look up on your phone and manually type into your PC. Uh, until now, 1Password has also released a beta of 1Password for Windows. Yeah, so if you've got a Windows machine at work or at your home and you want to share that data or, or have, the, uh, have the ability to use the 1Password tools, you can download it on Windows now. I thought it was great that they did this. I'm a little, I don't know. I, I'm very happy they did it, but it kind of makes me feel like, well, gosh, why why are you giving those people, I mean, our good software on our Macs? <laughs> but then I realized, oh, I kind of am one of those. kind of feel like they're cheating on you a little bit. They're cheating on me. <laughs> well, the interface isn't as good on the Windows, but that's just me. And I know they have smart people at, at Agile, but I suspect that they have 
have issues, you know, dealing with the windows calls and all that, but it's there, you know, you get your data on it and it makes it real nice. So, you know, and if you're at work, you don't necessarily need all of the passwords you have on your Mac, but you may want to keep some of them there. And, uh, it's very helpful. And you can pull over the passwords that you want, or you can use again, especially if you're using Dropbox to sync one password between multiple Macs. Uh, you can use you can also use Dropbox. We mentioned this with Text Expander uh, on the PC machine to sync up your your one password data file with one password um, on the PC. Now, one other solution if if you don't want to use the iPhone or the iPad version and you know kind of manually transfer information back and forth, but you're not quite sure you want to use a beta. Uh, one of the other, I think, underutilized features of 1Password is 1Password Anywhere. So if you don't want to install 1Password uh, for Windows on your Windows machine, or, or maybe you can't, maybe they've got strict policies that you can't install software, uh, all you need to do is to get your 1Password keychain onto a Windows machine somehow, onto a flash drive, into a Dropbox, uh, and it is actually a, an archive package that if you open it up, there is a 1Password HTML file in there uh, that you can open up, type in your your master password, and you've got a nice web interface of all your 1Password data. Now, it's not going to manually update. You're not going to be able to save uh, new passwords in there that you generate on your Windows machine like you could if you were using 1Password natively. Uh, but so long as you update it fairly frequently, you, you've you've got a another workable solution without having to install any software. And I actually recommended this to a friend of mine uh, who wanted their to be able to access their passwords on their PC, but had very strict restrictions that they could not install any software on the PC. You know what I like best about 1Password? Uh, this week they came out... They're really yeah, nice Yeah, well, not only that, but this week they came out with Safari 5. So, you know, me oh, being yeah. who I am, I could not wait a couple days to find out if it wasn't good. I, I, I think I was one of the first people to click download. So I download this thing and I was at work and I didn't really have time to, to monkey with it, but I did get it installed. And then I got home two or three hours later. I mean, it wasn't much time. And I finally get in there and I realized, oh, you know, I lost my one password because, you know, this is a new version. Uh, and so then I go. I'd say just just on a whim, I load up one password and it says, "Hey, we have an update available. The Windows, uh, the Safari Five update's already available." I mean, this is within hours of this thing hitting the web. And those guys, I, I imagine that like at like Agile headquarters, they have like an alarm bell or something, you know. And when a new version of a browser comes out, you know, red lights start blaring and people start going down fire poles and things because I can't imagine how they get these new versions out so quickly. It's true for every browser. Every time there's a new browser out, these guys are like right on top of it. So, you know, that's it. You know, 1Password, they're there for us Mac users. Now they're there for Windows users too. And you can check them out at onepassword.com and we thank them for their support. So, let's say... We're still not done with these PCs. No, we're not. And uh, if you don't want to uh, deal with loading Windows on your Mac, there's there's other ways to get that Windows computer on your Mac. And that's, you know, virtual network computing. And that's actually what I use. That's one of the my new office setup. I really don't need to have a reason to have Windows on my own Mac because I use the remote desktop client yeah. to access their Windows yeah. on my Mac. So... So VNC is what it's called, but you know one of the best applications for this is made by Microsoft. It's called uh, Microsoft Remote Desktop Client. It and it's, it's free. free, and you can download it on your Mac. And you need a little cooperation from the people at your office to make sure they create a place for you to get in. It's it's basically 
you know, like an IP number, you need an IP number and, and a hole in the firewall for you to get through. But once those two things are in place, you can essentially dial in and you can have your, your work PC show up on your Mac. And it allows you to, to draw it with modern uh, internet connections are so fast. You can you know, load a word processor and start typing, or you can open a file and email it to yourself. There's a lot of things you can do with it. And um, the Microsoft Remote Desktop Connection, I think, is probably the best solution if you're dealing with Windows. Mm-hmm. This was the one thing that the IT guy did have to help me with because he did have all of the super secret, not really, uh, configuration information. It wasn't quite as easy as typing in a username and a password as it was with yeah. Exchange. So I guess he did earn a little bit of money that day. Well, uh, really, on the Windows, I'm sorry, on the Mac side, it is that easy. On the Mac side, all you do is you type in an IP number, right. and then then your screen shows up on your Mac, and you type in your username and password. But uh, there well, has to more be more. So what to, he needed to do is he needed to give me that information. It wasn't like yeah, it was information and, that I already had. And he needs to do some back end work on the network to make sure that when you access that IP number, it gets through. But you know, just to step back, you're putting your Windows machine on your Mac without any Windows software, which in my opinion, is kind of it's ideal. Free. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, it's, uh, it's so that's, free that's and, a good way to do it. And it really depends. I mean, I, I personally kind of like the idea of having a little bit of separation. Um, you know, number one, I don't need to use my resources other than my internet connection to support whatever they've got. I don't have to install software on other than the remote desktop client on my Mac. I don't have to take up a lot of the room with these virtual clients. And, you know, if for whatever reason they decide that they want me to not be able to access that data, they plug the hole. Yeah. And and that's yeah. it. Uh, back to my Mac is the mobile me uh, VNC service, but that really works between Macs. It's not really doesn't support getting into Windows, at least to my knowledge. Are you aware of them? Anybody figuring that mm-hmm. out? And uh, then there's third party clients, you know, Fuse Meeting, who's one of our, our sponsors, does a really good job. Of, uh, they have desktop sharing so you can share desktop. Uh, and there's others out there as well. Um, you know, so there's VNC solutions. I, I think that the, the best place to go really though, if you need to get into a windows network is talk to whoever you need to at the, uh, at the office and get yourself hooked up with remote desktop client. Because, uh, ever since I, I started that, I have, you know, that's when I stopped using virtualization once I had that figured out. Yeah, and the tech guys may be a little more comfortable with it just because it's a Microsoft product and they may be a little more used yeah, to it. A little more comfortable with it. Yeah, so the, you know, there's some software that works both on the Mac and the Windows. And it's getting a lot better in in terms of, you know, it used to always be that the Mac software was crippled com- compared to the Windows one, but that's changed a lot in the last several yeah, years. Um, you know, the big players for people who are working is, is Microsoft Office. You know, everybody runs Microsoft Office at work, and I'm not a huge fan of that whole Office suite, but they do have a, a series of apps on the Mac as well. Yeah, and, you know, it, it works. And unfortunately, I, I would much rather, we mentioned our, our word processing show, you know, I, I would much rather use Pages or Scrivener or one of those other solutions, but sometimes you have to play nice with yeah. others. And uh, Microsoft has a new version of Office coming out. And we talked about them at our Macworld show, and we met with them at Macworld. So that was kind of nice. So you can go back and listen to that show to get more details on where they're heading. Uh, another big player is Intuit, makers of QuickIn and um, you know QuickBooks and the other financial software applications. And I, I feel like they haven't caught up on the Mac yet. They, I know yeah, they came out with a recent plus. version of QuickIn, but nobody seems to like it very much. 
I, I'm using it. I'm, but I'm a very, very basic Quicken yeah. user. I don't need anything fancy. I mean, I'm, I'm basically using it like I used Mint.com. Yeah. And then there's the Adobe Creative Suite. Which uh, yeah, which if, if you're a creative professional, this is the standard. This is what you're using, and this is you know maybe the Mac version has a little bit of an edge over the PC version. I don't know. I, I think that Adobe focuses more on the PC than the Mac anymore. I know they started on the Mac, but if you look at the user interface, it doesn't look like a Mac, yeah. you know. So, but they're doing some pretty neat stuff with that software, and I'm glad that they're still on the Mac at all, especially in light of what's going on these days. Yeah, they may not be for yeah. long. I can't imagine they'd give up that much business. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about making money, right? So I think that's uh, what it's about for Adobe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just think. I mean, how many sales do they have on the Mac if they stop supporting them? What a mess. Okay, we're breaking our rule and talking about news. Let's get back. We are talking about current show. events. Yes, let's get back yeah. to back to basics. We talked a little bit about one uh, password having a Windows client, but you know there's some other uh, Windows apps that are pretty useful if you're a Mac guy or a Mac girl and you want to uh, to get some of the same tools on the Windows experience. Um, one of my favorites is Launchy. Have you ever used that? Hmm. That that sounds a little bit like Launchbar. It does, and it allows you to. Uh, type in a few keystrokes and get your applications running. It doesn't have all the same bells and whistles of launch bar, but it's still pretty good and it's free. And, and if you're used to doing that, yeah, that's a hard habit to break as well. Yeah. Um, we talked about text expander apps. Um, there's some text editors as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I've never really been happy with the word processors in windows. And, uh, there's one I use, I think it's called monkey, right? I should have mm-hmm. had this figured out before we started recording. I'm sorry, Write Monkey. And Write Monkey is free. It's a uh, it's very similar to the app on the Mac, uh, Write Room, you know, where the screen just goes blank and you get the green letters on the screen. Kind of goes back to my Apple two days. And Yeah, you're uh, all about the no distractions. Yeah, it's really great. And, uh, you know, people walk in my office and they look at my screen and they kind of scratch their head because they're, you know, What's going on over there? You know, it's just this black screen with green words on it. But uh, Right Monkey is a great app. I like it. It's free. And uh, when you load it up, it gives you funny little sayings that um, I'll just leave you to it. You'll have to check that out. <laughs> it, it's one of the most, um, of all the Windows apps I've used, it has the most personality. You know you know how Mac apps have personality? Most most times Windows sure. apps don't. Yeah, They don't. One of the things that I found is is more and more I'm using applications that have built-in sync capabilities to share data with my Mac. Now, especially in our profession, you have to be very careful in terms of what data you're syncing and, and what you put in the cloud. So I don't put any kind of a confidential data into these products. But, uh, you know, in terms of, of to-do lists, I don't put any client data in these products. But in terms of to-do list or notes to myself or little bits of research or things like that that I, I want to keep a handle on. Um, I've, I've found that more and more I'm using Evernote because they have a, 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 a very good synchronization system, you know, between the Mac, between the PC, between the iPhone, between the iPad. So I found that I've, I've used Evernote quite a bit. Uh, and I'm using uh, Dropbox uh, between the PC and the Mac. And, and you actually gave me a really good tip um, with Dropbox in terms of being more selective with what I share. Do you want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Um, so I have Dropbox and I love it. And I've got a lot of data in there that 
I just don't want parked on my office I mean, PC. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's, uh, you know, the way Dropbox works is there's a local and a cloud copy for everything, which is one of the things that makes it great. So you, you've got essentially a backup in addition to a syncing service. Uh, but, you know, for instance, I've got, you know, you know, just family stuff on there, medical bills or whatever. And if somebody gets into my office computer, I don't want them to have access to all that stuff. So I was trying to figure out, is there a way to select like a single folder in Dropbox and share that? And there really isn't. I mean, once you say... But it is coming. I mean, they've announced that that's one of the features they're working on, and it's yeah, coming. Yeah, but Gmail's been but... a long time, and it's not here yet. So I, I don't know when it's coming. But so, you know, if you install Dropbox, and then, you know, that's another problem. Let's say you say, okay, I just want to limit those. And somebody, uh, some villainous person gets access to my Office PC. What's to keep them from turning on the other folders, you know, if they figure it out? Because you're going to have to put your password in. So, you know, I just didn't want to have... Uh, I didn't want to turn over all the, you know, family jewels to Dropbox on the office PC, but I wanted to share some data. And primarily what I use this for is I have one little folder called sync when I'm working on something and I just want to finish it up at home. It makes it a really quick way to do it. And then I have uh, some forms, you know, over the years, I've got different things I've done repeatedly and I keep some forms and I want to have access to those wherever I'm at. So, you know, that's probably more information than everybody wants to hear, but anyway, so I wanted to share that without sharing it the whole world of my Dropbox. Uh, so the solution I came up with was I made a new account on the PC. I just made a new Dropbox, a free account because I've got a paid account because I have so much stuff. I'm way beyond the two gigs, but I made a free account under a different name. And, uh, and once I set, well, my guess is under your name, but under a different exactly. Email I mean, address, through a different right? email. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I'm not, you didn't become Joe no, I'm not all of a sudden keeping it as a secret or anything. I just, just made a separate account. I figure I'm paying them so they shouldn't have too much of a complaint for me adding a separate account. So I um, put it together and then I created a folder on that and I shared that folder and I sent an invitation to my other email address to say, Hey, your alter you know, ego. and no, to my, you know, to my real ego, I mean, to my real person huh. from the kind of the alter ego on the PC. So I share the folder from the PC to the Mac, then on the Mac say, sure, I'd like to share that with you, Dave. And then you click that. So then you've got a separate account on that's just on this PC and it's got a shared folder that happens to be shared with my other Dropbox account, my big one that I'm paying for. And that way I can put stuff in that one folder and it goes to the PC, but the PC doesn't have access to everything else in the folder. Did I explain that okay? Yeah, I think you did. I thought that was a brilliant solution, and it was one that I implemented, because that was really what was keeping me from using Dropbox at work, is because I didn't want all my stuff on the work PC, and it's it's just worked flawlessly. I, I used a Gmail account to create another another Dropbox, registered, registered, shared, yeah. shared. Yeah. So you can, you know, it's just no different than, like, if you and I have a shared folder, you're, you're going to see that contents of the shared folder that we have for the Mac Power users, but you're not going to get into all my other folders. And so this, you know, this, this alter ego at my work computer has the same access and it's, uh, it seemed like a good solution. And, uh, I know there's competing services like SugarSync that allow you to limit what syncs and what doesn't sync, but I still think it gets to the bottom. The, the bottom line is once you install that on your computer, unless you're going to want to stop and insert your password every time you turn it on, um, then if you have it, you know, autofill your password, then even if you turn folders off, if somebody got on there, they were going to be, they'll be able to turn folders back on. Right. And, you know, you always think, well, in a, in a pinch, if something was going on wrong, uh, you could always go change your password. But what if you didn't realize what was going on? I mean, it wouldn't take more than three or four hours to just suck down the whole Dropbox database that I have. And, you know, there's stuff in there that I just don't want shared. 
Yeah, I thought that was a good tip. The the other thing that I really do, and I'm sure there are other programs you can do to share this with, is I have loaded up Safari on the PC. Um, and if you, you can access your mobile me account, they've, they've got a mobile me, I guess it's a mobile me control panel over on the PC that will keep some stuff in sync. And you can even access your iDisk from the PC, but I just, I don't put a lot in the iDisk, but I did turn on mobile me syncing for, um, bookmarks. So all of my bookmarks in Safari go back and forth and that's just nice to have. Well, and the other solution for that, if you, uh, don't want to deal with Safari on the PC is X marks. Right for Firefox. Well, no, it's not just Firefox. Well, it will work too. They right. they work with I think just about. It used to be Fox Marks, yeah, didn't it? Same yeah, product. now it's it's X Marks because they support pretty much everything. So, if you don't want to deal with Safari, that's another way to share those bookmarks across. Uh, and the other thing I do, I guess that I should mention that's somewhat related. I use Net Newswire for all of my RSS reading on my Mac, although I don't do a whole lot on the PC at work. Um, and I they've got a um, a product called Feed Demon the PC, same company, that syncs up behind the scenes with um, Google Reader and will sync with all my net newswire and that kind of stuff. So that's good, too. You know, and that's one of the other kind of takeaways uh, from the iPad coming out is that, you know, you, you don't need to have your data on your office PC as much as you used to if you cut an iPad or something like that, because you're getting to a point where you can say, OK, I'm just going to deal with my, um, you know, feed reader on my iPad and I'm not going to deal with it at all on the office PC. And usually it's a better experience. Yeah. yeah. Completely separate. So All I think right. that brings us to our next sponsor, um, Fuse Meeting. You know, one of the things I really like about Fuse Meeting is that they've got a way to serve your data from the internet. And uh, when you want to run a web-based meeting, you know, one of the big problems you have is getting access to the data. You know, you've got to upload it on your end, then it's got to come down on the other end. Uh, Fuse Meeting's got that figured out. They've got it based on a, on a web hosting service. And and that's actually another advantage of it is that you don't have to download specific software. You just, it all works through the web. Uh, you know, uh, you put the data up, you send the invitations out, and you can present rich media. Uh, we did a, another meeting in Fuse Meeting recently where we used some high-definition video. And because it was on their server, we were able to stop it at any point. And you know how sometimes when you work on the internet, everything's all pixelated and it's really ugly. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was on their server, everything looked beautiful. And we were able to stop at specific moments. to, to we, were, we were trying to figure out how long it, it took between two different events. that you know. And so we would stop it. We'd set our clocks. Then we'd move forward. And everybody in the meeting could you know run their own timing on it. It was great. Um, if you have friends or colleagues you want to bring into a meeting, you can fetch them or they can dial in directly and it's uh, less expensive. You know, I think it's, what is it now? $30 a month for a fuse meeting account for the basic account. And, uh, you can try it out for free for 30 days. And if you like it and you sign up for it, they get you a, a $25 iTunes gift card just because they like Mac people. They do like Mac people. Uh, and they also have, we should mention, an iPhone version, which will work on the iPad in the iPhone mode. Uh, of course, it's not going to be quite as full-featured um, as one of the other versions, but you, you can still do all of the essentials. So if you really are on the road and you can't get to a PC for, or a Mac or a web browser um, on a computer for the meeting, you, you still can participate and at least have some meaningful participation 
uh, using the iPhone app, and that is a free download. As or, well. you know, when you've got these guys who are always ditching your meetings and saying, well, I'm, I'm on the road that day, I can't. I'm saying, oh, that's okay. Just down. Oh, here you go. Let me, let me show you this. Yeah, app just you download, download the app and you're good, you know. <laughs> and, and we'll be talking. There's no that. excuses. But you can check it all out at fusemeeting.com slash Mac. That's F-U-Z-E meeting.com slash Mac. And, and if you check. You'll get a free trial, and if you decide to stick with it, you will get an iTunes gift card as well. So you can not only download the Fuse Meeting app, which is free, but all other kinds of fun apps. Exactly. And uh, we do want to thank Fuse Meeting once again for their sponsorship of the Mac Power users. Yes. So now we're following up from the iPad episode. Yeah, we got some good feedback yeah. from this. Um, I guess you want to kick it off with... Uh, with the newest app you've downloaded? Yeah, uh, you know, I had uh, bemoaned the fact that Penultimate does not allow me to pinch and zoom the text. So when I write, you know, with it doesn't work that way. You know, I want to make it smaller. And Right, because it's very hard to write small and legibly on you know, the with iPad. Your finger. And uh, so Tom wrote in about Note Taker, which is an app that is designed uh, for that purpose, to take notes. Uh, I downloaded it and tried it out. Uh, I think it was five bucks. And it has two windows, so it's got a window that's kind of like a zoomed-in version of your screen. So even though you're writing big on it, it's actually printed it on the on the printable version, smaller. Pretty neat. It's a good idea. Now, I would recommend checking it out. Uh, is it like uh, Yeah, it is. I mean, it depends how well you write. Um, I'm starting to well. uh, play with it. I'm not sure whether I'm still going to stay with Penultimate or this one, but it's definitely a contender. Yeah. Well, we're still getting feedback um, from our Hazel episode. That seemed to be a popular one. And I think um, folks are, are little by little trying to figure out new Hazel workflows. So it's it's great to hear that keep coming in. And I would encourage people um, to post some of their Hazel workflows as comments on our website so that they can share these with others, because I'm sure we won't be able to share all of them. Um, but we, um, we got this email in from... I'm guessing Taud, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But he writes in and he says, thanks for sharing the awesome tip in the feedback session of your iPad power session. So last week's show uh, regarding Hazel and keyword OCRs in the documents. I've done the test and it totally works. The only problem we have is we have to make sure that the document is OCR'd. So that's true. You got to get all these documents and you got to get them OCR'd. So he says, I was thinking of having the same thing done without OCRing the document. For example, if I have named the scan document 64 gigabyte wireless iPad tax invoice.pdf, then I would like Hazel to look at that keyword in the file name, tax invoice, and then rename the file with the date in the file into a, a, a corresponding folder. So for uh, his instance, he's got a warranty and invoices folder 2007, and then it renames it 2010-06016 gigabyte wireless iPad tax invoice.pdf. And he wants to know, is it possible to get Hazel to read part of the file name and do sorting based on that partial keyword? Well, if, if Hazel looks at it and it has the, the qualifier includes instead of is, then it'll look at part of a name. So I think he's probably going to be okay with it. He needs to use the term includes. Hazel's really a powerful app. I, I was really impressed with the various means and ways that people were, were putting that thing to work for them. I'm looking forward to seeing what else we get on that. Um, we also got a comment on the show from Doug saying, you know, 
hey, Dave, how come you didn't cover OmniFocus on the iPad? And, you know, the reason I didn't really get into it too far was because, number one, they haven't really got their iPad version out yet. But I do use OmniFocus iPhone version on the iPad. There's a couple things I like about it. Number one is using that A4 processor. So it goes through um, the process of grinding through my my crazy list much faster than it does on the phone, which is kind of nice. And that 2X button, you know, to blow up the screen makes it easy to scroll through. Uh, I don't like the way that, you know, it limits the amount of text on the screen. You've got that big screen. I'd like to be able to see more of the descriptions and details on my tasks, which I can't really do with the uh, the iPhone version blown up. But they're coming out with the uh, the iPad version, hopefully this month. So Definitely this summer. Yeah. Though, right? And so keep your fingers crossed. And uh, I mean, they, they have posted that they're shooting for June. So I think we'll see it pretty soon. And, and that'll be great. Um, one of the things he had asked about was, you know, how do you get um, items from your email into a into a new task? And the answer is I don't on an iPad or an iPhone. There there really isn't a simple way. You can do kind of a block and copy. But when you th- consider the amount of time involved in doing that, it, it really is not a very uh, useful uh, way to do it. Uh, the way I handle that problem is, you know, I do a lot of email processing on the on the Mac, and I've got a key combination that that takes any email and drops it into my inbox. I talked about it on the OmniFocus show. I, I forget that what they call it, but they have a special funny name for it. And uh, uh, so once you put the keyboard combination in, then it drops in the inbox, and then at that point you're golden. Then you can switch over to your iPad, and you can. It's like mail something two thousand, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's very funny, but I don't want to stop to figure it out now. But so you click the button. On your Mac, it drops it into the inbox. So then you can go to your iPad and you can, you know, process your inbox there. And that's just as fast as doing it on the Mac nearly. So if you want to sit on your couch and kind of sort through your inbox, it works just great. I've kind of got to the point where I do my initial OmniFocus sort on the iPad now every morning because, you know, usually when I finish a day out, any emails that I haven't dealt with get dropped into OmniFocus anyway. So they're all there for me to handle. Did you see Doug's comment? He had another one too about documents to go coming out. Did you see that? And in fact, it has come out already. Yeah, it has. On the iPad. It was not out, I believe, when we recorded our iPad. Have you tried it? I've downloaded it. I have not, I've not had a chance yeah, to I, use it. Yeah, I, I, I downloaded it as well, and it works, and it allows you to write to Dropbox. It solves the problem that we oh. had. So, uh, you know, you're still dealing with Word files instead of Pages files. So, you know, that's a shame. Right. But hopefully Apple at some point will catch up with this stuff. Um, and Documents to Go doesn't solve that one problem I have is I want to be able to use styles because usually when I'm using Word documents, it's because I need styles because of the people I'm mm-hmm. collaborating with. So uh, I downloaded it. Didn't really do that. But otherwise, it's a great way to get, you know, true syncing. And I think it's the first implementation on the iPad that I've seen of it. And I think we'll yeah. see more now with that Dropbox API being out there for developers. I think they realize how powerful the tool yeah. is. And TJ wrote in to say, hey, you need to try air sharing uh, for video. And uh, TJ was right. I'm sorry, it's called air video. It's, <laughs> it's really great. You know, you, you load it up. It puts a little app on your on your Mac and you can access your entire iTunes library or any other video you've got on your Mac. Uh from anywhere on your, your wireless network. And I know there's some some other networking abilities to do it remotely. I haven't got there yet. But just for walking around the house, if I want to sit down and watch a uh, Don McAllister screencast or if I want to watch a movie that's upstairs on my iMac, it's really easy to get access to it. Because going upstairs and plugging in a cable is just too yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. 
You get it. Got it. We also got an audio comment in from Bob. He used the Note to Self app, which I think is one you've used. People have also used the um, uh, the audio recording app on the iPhone, or you can just record up an MP3 and, and send it to us. Uh, but we're working on getting that Google Voice number up, so hopefully that will that will happen in the next couple of weeks. But uh, Bob has a great take on um, why you would want to partition a Mac. Hello, David and Katie. This is Bob W. I have a quick comment on um, some of your listening emails about um, partitioning an internal hard drive for a Mac. I do partition my internal hard drive for a very specific reason, and I just thought I'd let you guys know that there are some cases where it is very useful. Um, I have an external 750-gigabyte drive that I use for cloning and backing up off-site. My main drive is a one-terabyte. I want to be able to clone my main hard drive, and so I partition that one tera into a main hard drive of about 700, and I have another 300 gigabyte for other stuff. And now, using uh, the cloning uh, software, it's very easy to say, please clone this to that, and I don't have to worry about picking and selecting and choosing. Works great. And I couldn't do it without partitioning. I love your show. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up. Thanks, Bob, for... um, Yeah, I guess he's got a good point. Yeah, I'm I'm, going to have to stop uh, telling people to not partition because there's a lot of people who have good reasons to. So I'm... There are are a lot of good reasons to. It's just what I would encourage people is to don't just partition because you can. I mean, do it for a reason. Yeah. Um, so we probably should um, direct everybody to uh, let them know how they can contact us. And you can find all of the information, links to things that we've talked about in today's show notes over at our website, MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah, and also I encourage you to go and leave comments there on shows of anything you have that, that's useful to other people. Because I know we're getting a lot of people going to the site checking out the comments and I love to see that, you know, everybody gets to share the data. I like when you send the comments to us too with the email, but I think it's even better when you put it on the website so everybody can share. Yeah. We had, we've had somebody request forums and um, I'm intrigued, but terrified by the idea at the same time. So we'll have to think on that. a little. Let's just stick with comments for now and see if it gets crazy. We'll, we'll talk about forums, but you can also send us an email if you'd like, send it to feedback at macpowerusers.com and that'll come to both of us. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Smile on My Mac, with Text Expander and all their various uh, productivity applications. One password, you can find uh, all of their applications and all their various platforms for one password over at onepassword.com. And Fuse Meeting, found at fusemeeting.com slash Mac. That's F U Z E meeting dot com slash Mac, where you can get a free iTunes gift card if you sign up for the SERP. Okay, David, what's next? I think it's time for another Workflows episode. I'm really excited about this one. We've got uh, somebody on tap that I think a lot of our listeners will enjoy hearing from, a longtime Mac geek, and I think this will be a lot of fun, so just stay tuned. Well, David, it's been fun, and uh, I look forward to talking with you and our mystery guest yeah. next time. I think by the time we talk to each other again, we may both have fancy new iPhones as well. I hope so. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. See, 
white or black, that's my big, my big decision. Talk about a first world problem. I know. Cool. All right, folks. Thanks for stopping. I'll stay with it. <laughs> 